So let's, uh, I want to set the stage. We're in 1 John. I'm going to bring us back into it. My deepest desire is I can bring you into the context of the, of the teaching so you can really experience what this, this word is teaching us. All right? So John himself, the apostle, he's about 90 years old when he wrote this. And, and a lot of the apostles had already been martyred. And it's believed he's in Ephesus. He's, he's in Ephesus where he's teaching. You know, Paul had established the church in Ephesus. And the church had probably grown to be a very large church. Because Paul, we had seen that even with Paul's ministry. He's near the end of his life. And by this time, the church was probably in about its third generation. So that means there was believers. By the way, in the beginning of the church, everybody was a first-generation believer, Right? But by this time, the church had been established for so long, you have to remember that the Apostle John was with Jesus for the three-plus years of ministry. And at this point, he'd been making disciples for 60 years. He's 90 years old. He's been in ministry for 60 years. He's a mature man of the faith, as we see in his writings that got inspired through him. But what was going on in the church at this time, which happens sometimes... It's the third generation, which means there was believers, they had kids, they became believers, they were raised in the first kids to be raised in Christian homes, are you with me on this? And then there was grandkids, the church had gone up to three generations within the church. But the problem with that, what happens often is the second generation isn't quite as on fire as the first generation, and the third generation is even less on fire than the, than the second generation, are you with me? There's a great teaching by Brooke Wilkinson called The Three Chairs, you could probably find it on YouTube. It'll give you biblical explanations of how people wander away from the faith generation after generation. And he uses Israel as his example in the teaching. But that's what's going on in the church. And what happens when, when the church starts to lose its passion, when the church starts to lose its fire, when the church starts to lose its love for the word and the love for the ways of the Lord, is false teachers come in. False teachers come in because they know within this church, some are not believers, and they know within this church that there's weak lambs in the church which are easy to be picked off. And we'll see as we go through 1 John, that's exactly what's going on. There's a church split. People are leaving and following these false teachers. And so the Apostle John is, you know, he's, he's, you're going to hear this today and throughout this whole teaching. He's coming on strong. He's pleading with these people not to follow these false teachers. Remember the gospel. Don't walk away from the Lord. And the false teaching going on, I'll just give you a sample of some of them. They were saying that really Jesus was a man who at his baptism, the spirit came upon him. Then he lived this life. And then right before the crucifixion, the spirit left him. That was one of the false teachings. The other one was that, that, Jesus, this, that Jesus, let me think of this other one real quick here. There's another one that was really... Oh, the other one that was the domestic. The other one was the fact that they believed that Jesus was never really man to begin with. He only gave the appearance of man, but he was always 100% spiritual. Do you see what they're doing? And then the one we're going to talk most about is Gnosticism, which is dualism, which they believe that even man, there's two parts of every man. One is spirit and one is physical. The spirit is the good part of us. The physical is always the bad part of us. And what they were doing is they were giving people title to sin because what you do in the body doesn't really matter to God. And so you can see these people coming into the church. These people were third generation and they're saying, you see those temples up on the mountaintops? We can go there. 
We can go join in the drunkenness and the sexual immorality. We can do all that. It doesn't matter to God. You're still going to go to heaven when you die because your spirit is pure. And they're leading people away from the church. Because you know what Hebrews teaches us? There's pleasure in sin. Don't deny that. And that pleasure, what they saw these people laughing and rejoicing and and celebrating, they were being drawn to that. But we know, brothers and sisters, that it's a momentary pleasure that leads to a lifetime of pain and suffering. But these, these new believers, these weak believers, these unbelievers, as Paul's going to call them, were so weak that they were being drawn away into this, into this life of immorality. So that's kind of the setup here. I'm going to review what uh, Pastor Tyler went over last week so we get the, the full picture. You know, I will say before we jump into it, just so we get the right context here, is that thankfully we as a people have advanced so much further than that. Right. Well, I mean, come on, who, who here has a idol of stone or wood at their house that they're worshiping like these people did? Amen, sister. The problem is nothing's changed. What's amazing about the Word of God, we just got done with 1 Corinthians and now we're in 1 John, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. It's just as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. You know, one of the idols that drives me crazy, as I do quite a bit of traveling, is the smartphones. I'm telling you, that's one of the biggest idols of our day. And I, you know, I try to stay away from my phone as much as possible. When I go home, it goes in its cradle in my study, and I don't look at it until the morning. And some of you know that because you've tried to reach me. Why didn't you get back to me? Because I don't, I don't let the phone control me. But I'm sitting at airports, and here's all these people. Right? And I see young couples. Uh, uh, maybe they're on their honeymoon. This, this man and this woman together, these young couples. They're not even talking to each other. And then you see families. The kids are on video games, and the older kids are on their smartphones. And the parent, What in the world? Here's the deal. If God had someone he sent to a Christian in the airport to be witness to, Nobody would see them. They, would, they, don't have, they don't have room for divine appointments. Social media. My point is, there's plenty of idols in our day. And some of you may have smartphone idolatry. Put them away. Be, be, especially when you're out in the world, be available to God to use you for divine appointments because there's lost people all around you, but if you can't talk to them when you're like this. But the point here is nothing's changed. As the wisest man ever said, there's nothing new under the sun. There's idols everywhere. And this word that we're studying today is just as applicable as it was 2,000 years ago. So let me review what Pastor Tyler went over last week, which is one through four. Let me just read it for us. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life. Do you see that? What he's saying is that you're all talking about who this Jesus was and who this Jesus wasn't. We heard him. We saw him. We observed him. We touched him. We'll tell you who Jesus really was. He was fully God and fully man. He was the word of life. So quit believing these false teachers. They don't know what they're talking about. 
I am an eyewitness to who Jesus was, and so were the other apostles. He's rebuking them with that. Stay with me. Still overcoming the songs here. So he says, it was the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was the Father, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us, which we have seen and heard to proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. Brothers and sisters, what he's doing, he's appealing to them with the gospel. Don't be deceived. Don't believe the lies about these, from these false teachers about who, who Jesus was. And, and here, look here for a minute, a couple supporting verses, what he's saying about life. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He said, don't be deceived by the, the thief. These false teachers work for Satan. They're here to deceive you and lead you away from the true gospel and tr- from away from the true abundant life. What is the abundant life? The abundant life is the fact that we were all born into slavery. We were born into slavery to Satan and to sin. And the abundant life is those who believe in Jesus are delivered from that slavery and adopted into the family of God. So the abundant life doesn't matter where we live. We could be living under a viaduct or we could be living in a castle. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have an abundant life. Amen. So, so, so he, he, he has come to give us an abundant life because he wants to lead us and guide us into all righteousness. But seek first his kingdoms and righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. The abundant life is living fully sold out to Jesus Christ. So that's the life he wants to give us. That's the life he came to give us. And then it says he also came to give us eternal life. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent from the high priestly prayer of John 17. So he doesn't only want to give us an abundant life now, a life where we surrender to Jesus Christ and live this new fullness of, of the gospel, but also he wants to give us eternal life. And by the way, if you haven't noticed yet, this life is but a mist. Don't be deceived. Eternal life is what matters. And then Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he came to offer. That's what John is trying to tell the people. Don't miss the true gospel. Don't be deceived. So God is life, abundant now and eternal. And now we'll move on to the next teaching, which is God is light. God is light. And Charles will read this for us. He'd come up now. But let me just say this as Charles is coming up. There's two, great, there's two great tests of someone whether they're saved or not. And that is one is their view of God, and the second one is the view of themselves. And you're going to see both these in the text today. Their view of God and their view of themselves will indicate if someone's truly saved or not. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another 
and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. From a different translation. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Charles. So he, he reiterates what he talked about in the beginning, which he says that this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. Do you see that? The first thing he says to them is that this isn't our philosophy of life like these false teachers. This isn't our opinion. This is the message we received directly from Jesus Christ when he walked on the earth. So he adds credibility to what he's saying. And then he says, what does he say? The message was that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Do you see that? You know, when, people, when you ask people what they, who is God or what they think of God or what are the attributes they use to explain God, typically they'll say things like, God is love, God, God is gracious, God is merciful, God is forgiving, God is good, right? And those are all true attributes, amen? But the first attribute you have to get a hold of is that God is light, before the other ones make sense. The, the, the attribute that God is light is the attribute that leads us to salvation. You know, when you do, if you ever evangelize to people either in the street or friend, family and friends, often what they'll say is, well, you know, God is good and God is loving and those are the typical the attributes they're going to pull out. And you'll ask them, well, if you die today, will you go to heaven? They say, well, I think so. I haven't done any really bad things. I think I'm good enough because God is love. See, they missed the first part of it. You have to begin with God is light. What does it mean? Of course, God is eternal light. He doesn't create light. He is light. But this is specifically referring to that God is holy. God is holy. He is righteous. He is pure. There is no darkness at all in God. And see, that is what leads us to salvation. I pray for all of you, it, it, here's a picture for you, is that it's almost as he lets a little beam of his glory come down from heaven and touch our souls. And at that moment, it, it's overwhelming in that we realize how glorious he is, how holy he is, how pure he is, and at the same time, that light of his glory reveals our own depravity. Up to that point, we thought we were pretty good people, but when that little light from heaven comes down, we see how sinful we are. 
We see how dark our lives are. Up to that point, if anybody said to me, I would have said the same thing that I hear people on the street saying, well, I think I'm good enough. You know, I was raised a good Lutheran and I was confirmed and I think I'm getting in because God must grade on a curve. But the moment that little glip, that little beam of light shined on my soul, I was a broken man. I saw my own depravity. And I saw his holiness and his righteousness. And that's what leads people to salvation. Look at Isaiah. When he got into the, a great man of God, but when he got into the glory of God, I'm a man of unclean lips and a people of unclean lips, flat on his face before God. John, flat on his face before God. Peter walked away from Jesus. I'm not worthy to be around you. That's what happens when you get into the light of God, the glory of God, the holiness of God. I pray that's happened to you. That's what leads us. And by the way, after that, then I can see the goodness of God because then I realize the price he paid for me to get into the kingdom of God through the cross by sending his only begotten son. That's the love of God, right? But it starts with his light. It starts with his glory. It starts with his holiness. And that's why John's starting with them to these people that are confused and walking away from the faith or saying, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Just a couple supporting verses here. Matthew 72, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. We saw this with Moses, too, when he met with God, is there's a physical radiance that comes off them, but that's only a reflection of the internal holiness and glory of God. And John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what John is talking about here as well, is this light of life, this light that will bring you into a new life as you surrender to the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So he says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And he continues, look here, it says, if we say we have fellowship to him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You see that? Now let me define this word fellowship a little bit with you. This word fellowship means an intimate relationship with God. It's not having a cup of coffee with someone. He's talking about a, a loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He, he is your Lord. You have this intimate, deep relationship with him is what he's referring to. And he's saying, if you say you have this intimate relationship with God, that he is your king and your Lord, and you're still walking in darkness, you're lying, and you're not saved. You're not saved. The truth is not in you. Let's dig into this fellowship a little bit to give you a picture. So let's say you're married. I want to talk about how to build intimacy with God, and then we'll see how it's broken here. So if you were married in a marriage relationship, and you're both saved, the way you build intimate relationship in a marriage is by both the husband and the wife committing themselves to the Word of God. The foundation of intimacy is always truth. It's always truth. So you both have to be submitted to the Word of God. And as you're transformed more and more the image of Christ, then what happens is you begin to trust each other more because you're both basing your, founding your life on the truth of God's Word. Are you with me on this? So you have this, you're both submitting to the Word of God. It builds trust 
in the relationship where you trust each other. And then in a marriage, you become very transparent with each other. You share everything with each other because you have this deep trust and mutual love for God and one another. Does that make sense? Well, it's the same thing in a church. See, as we gather here on Sundays and Wednesday nights, we're here, but we have to build. The only way we can build intimacy within one another is we all have to be submitted to the Word of God. You have to do your part throughout the week, digging into the Word, studying the Word, memorizing the Word, meditating on the Word. And when we come together, there's a oneness that's created through the Word of God where we can share deep, intimate relationship. Because see, what happens is just like in a marriage, we trust one another. Because we're basing our lives on the same truth. We're, we're speaking the same biblical language. We have the same biblical worldview. Are you with me on this? And so that creates intimacy. And the whole foundation of that is our intimacy with God. Is getting along with God and meeting with Him in the Word. And, and I'm not talking about information. I'm talking about transformation. We come before the Word to be broken, to be changed, to be transformed every day and have them reveal to us who we are and what needs to change in our lives. We'll dig into that a little bit more, but you've got to see that. So, so I have to get along with the Word of God and be broken by it and be changed by it so I can come into my marriage and be the man of God that God wants me to be. I need to be in the Word, be broken by it, be changed by it, so I can come and be in fellowship with all of you. Right? And that's the intimacy he's talking about. You all right still? It's awfully quiet in here today. You guys had too much, you guys had too much turkey, I think. So, so, but if we walk in the darkness, let's look at a picture of this. Again, in that marital situation, what if one of, the, one of the people in the marriage has got some secret thing going on? And by the way, it, it doesn't have to be adultery. It could be sneaking off for a double cheeseburger. And the wife wants to know why she, he never wants to eat her dinner. I don't know. I don't know what it... It's just, there's a secret between you and your spouse, right? What does that do to the, to the fellowship? It breaks it. Because there's just something there. Especially, I'm talking about born-again believers here. There's something there. There's something between you. The person that's doing the secret thing is feeling guilty about what they're doing and so they're not trusting one another. And the other spouse senses that. And, and, the, and the mutual oneness is broken. Now when brothers and sisters come here on some Sundays, I can tell there's something going on. Something's going on. Because the fellowship is broken. There's a distance between us. We don't have that same spirit-to-spirit fellowship. There's something going on. And, 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 and you're choosing that darkness over the light and you're breaking the fellowship of the body of Christ. And worse than all that... When we have those darkness secrets, we're breaking our fellowship with the God of the universe. Because you remember, sin did separate us from God. Sin does separate us from God. And you know it's true because you're living in this sinfulness and you open up the word and it's dead to you. You begin to pray and your prayers are hindered. You come to church and you don't really like being here. It's irritating to you. Because really what you're saying is you love the darkness more than you love the light. And it's pulling you away. It's pulling you away from God. It's pulling you away from the body. So he says, do not say you love the Lord Jesus and live in darkness because you're a liar. And, you're, and by the way, 
you're lost. Look here, just out of the Gospel of John, some supporting text here. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh, Lord Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that if you walk in the light, the light will drive out the darkness. The light always wins. You you can't do it on your own, but the light of Jesus will drive out the darkness in your life. And he says here in verse 12, he says, But to all who receive him and who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He said, this, this is your entryway into the light is through Jesus Christ and surrendering life to him, and he'll bring you into the light, which will always overcome the darkness. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, brother. Thank you, Jesus. Now we get to some good news. I think it's all good news, but, but, here's, but here's the way to live this victorious life. Look at the next verse. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you see that? So what, what this is a picture of is living each day. I want to give you some real practical stuff here. Living each day in the presence of God. Now, let me ask you this question. Are we, in reality, are we always in the presence of God? Yes. God is everywhere. God sees everything. And if you're born again, you're surrounded because God lives in you and he's around you. God's not up going, oh, I missed that. I didn't, what, 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 what did Ed just do? I missed what Ed did. Can someone tell me what Ed did? One of the angels come. No, God sees everything. He knows everything. It says he's all powerful, all present, right? All knowing. So here, but why does it say practice his presence? Because what it is, is we're trying to practice what is in reality true for us as Christians. Is that everywhere we go, there's no place we can hide from God. I was going to quote that psalm today, but we don't have time. But you can run, you can hide the highest mountain, the lowest valley. There's no place you can run from God. So the idea of practicing His presence is living each day in the reality that you're with God. So here you are every day. He's actually got his arm around us probably, so I'll put my arm down. But we're arm in arm with Jesus every day. We're walking with Jesus. And everywhere we go and everything we think and everything we do, Jesus is with us. Can you get that? By the way, it's true, but we have to practice it. It's a discipline. So what it looks like is, you know, we're, we're in the Word, of course, but we're in the Word for relationship, not religion. We're coming to meet with God, and we're having a conversation with Him in the Word. The Word's speaking to us, and we're speaking back to God, and He's helping us change, right? It's a relationship with the Word. You love the Word. You can't wait to get up and meet with Jesus. But that goes throughout your entire day. Don't, don't have your prayers be an event. Prayer is an all-day thing. And if I told you what I pray for and the prayers answered, I get you would think I'm a prosperity preacher. Because I pray about everything. I pray for parking spots. Oh, you pagan. No, I, I'm in a hurry, and God gives me parking spots sometimes. And you know why he gives me a parking spot? So he may be glorified. 
because I don't take Christ. It wasn't my wisdom that God, God, God knows what's on my heart and mind. And he doesn't always give me good parking spots, by the way, but sometimes he does. But I praise him either way, but I'm saying it's this idea that throughout my day, I'm praying and God's answering prayers and I'm praising him and I'm thanking him for these things. And I go to work and I, I, I'm tired and I'm praying, especially on Mondays, I go to the office. You know, normally I get hundreds of emails every day. I said, Lord, I tell you, could you... Could you lighten my load today? You know, but seek for, I seek, you know, I, let me hold that verse up to you. I sought your kingdom first. Can you, and guess what? He answers those prayers. Not every day, but some days I get in, there's 20, I think the server's broke because I got 20 emails in there. But he, praise God, he, he, it's a life of just living in his presence and talking to him about everything we're doing and thinking and saying, and, and that's living in the presence of Jesus. That's walking in the light as he is in the light. It's thanking him. The other part of it is, you know, I was telling you about my frustration at the airport with all these uh, idle smartphone people. But the other part of it is, is that walking in the light, if we're truly walking in the light, we should be reflecting the light to the lost world. Are you with me on this? They should see, like Jesus' transfiguration or Moses coming off the mountain, there, there should be a reflection of this glorious life that we're living with Jesus. Are you with me on that? Be, be prepared to give a reason, right? For your joy. Give a reason for your love. Give a reason for your patience in the busy Christmas holiday. And be ready to share the gospel. The reason for the light. It's not a secret. And you don't need to be trained. Just trust the Spirit. He'll lead you in it. Just start telling them how much, what God's done for you. And we, we have formal training on it, but we had many times here, the masters wait other ones, but don't wait for that. Talk to people about Jesus. Be a light in this dark world, especially as we get close to the Christmas season. You know, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of discouragement. You know why? Because they're, because they're finding out the lie of the world. How about you? As kids, you get all excited about Christmas and then it's over. It's like, ah, it's over? The tree's gone? Lights are coming down. I guess for another 364 days waiting for the next one. It's, it's discouraging because the world has no answers. So people are still looking for Where is the real joy? Where is the real love? Where is the real hope? We, we have to be this light out there, especially right now. Maybe let some people cut in front of you in line at the grocery store. Doesn't matter. Be, be patient. Be joyful. Be ready. But it should be, we should be bright lights in the dark world. And I pray you're thanking God all the time, heart of thankfulness. You know, one of the things at the mission, working with the mission for 15 years, as I'm meeting with brothers, as soon as they start to lose the attitude of gratitude, I know we're in trouble. You know, when they first got, oh, praise God for this food, praise God for this place, praise God for this, this you know, what a wonderful mission this is. And all of a sudden, you know what, the food's not so good. Yeah, and I, you know, I, they never have my size in the store anymore. And on and on. You know what? Don't ever lose your attitude. You deserve, here's how you do it. Here's the reset. What do you deserve? Worse than that. You deserve hell. Thank you, Demetrius. We deserve hell and eternal punishment. And God has given you life. If, if you start to get a, a grumbling attitude, do a reset. Put on the attitude of, I deserve death and eternal punishment. He's given me abundant life now and eternal life forever with him in the glory of the perfect world. 
That's a bright light in this dark world is someone that has gratitude, someone that's thankful about things. And you get some crabby, if you're out shopping for Christmas, you get some crabby workers, encourage them, thank you, I know it's hard here. And then it says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from all sin. Because see, the other part of this, brothers, is that it's called progressive sanctification. Brothers and sisters, is that as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, and we're in the word, and we're in prayer, and we're thanking God, and, and we're witnessing to people, what's going to happen is he's going to reveal some darkness that still lives in us. Are you good with that? You're not fully glorified yet, any of you? No, it's called progressive sanctification. Now, maybe when you were first saved, there were some huge things that God delivered you from, but I, I can assure you there's a constant process of God refining us as he shines the light on us. Maybe it's an anger problem. Maybe it's a jealousy problem. Maybe it's a pride problem. Maybe it's whatever it is. He, he reveals these things, and what he says is just as you're walking along and God reveals it, you immediately confess and repent, and the blood of Jesus washes you clean of those sinfulness. Isn't that unbelievable? Don't wait till the end of the day when he shines that light on that dark spot in your soul. Confess and repent. Don't carry the load. Give it to him. The beautiful picture of the Christian life. And he closes with this. He says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You see that? See, the, the Gnostic teachers were saying that the physical and spiritual, you can do anything you want in the body, and, and really you're, there's no sin related to it. You're not sinners. And he says, oh, no, no. If, if you say you have no sin, you, you're deceived, and once again, you're not saved. You see that? Some people today still confess they're sinless. Why do you think when the apostle said, what, how should we pray, Jesus? We have to pray every day. How should we pray? He says, our Father who art in heaven, God is light. Holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. You also should be a light. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In other words, you're going to be a sinner. I'm giving you a prayer to use. You're going to be a sinner. And then, of course, lead us not in temptation. You are on the battlefield. So the reality is these people are saying they're sinless, and uh, we should sin less, but we're not ever going to be sinless. Thoughts, words, and deeds, omission. We are a sinful people. Do you see how someone gets saved? They realize they're a sinner, and they realize God is holy and righteous. And the need to be saved. And then he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, have say, if we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So here's the other challenge. We're almost done. You're doing great. The temptation when the light shines on you is to justify, minimize, or blame shift your own sin. Don't go there. So, so I, I lose my temper, which is a sin, and then I say, well, you know what? I had a bad day. Is that, is that okay then? No, I'm trying to justify my anger. Or 
I'll do this is say, well, you know, what you did to me, blame shifting. Or, you know what, it wasn't really that bad. I wasn't that angry. Try to minimize it. And I hear it all the time within the Christian world. Don't do that. Right away, and don't use the right words, by the way. Sorry, I have sinned against you. Don't say, I'm, I apologize. Use the biblical terminology. I'm sorry I've sinned against you. Would you forgive me for losing my temper? Would you forgive me? Thank you. She forgave me. Thank you. Appreciate that. I need your forgiveness because I sin all the time. So take responsibilities, confess your sins, and repent. So here we are. Let me just summarize. God is life. God is life. That's the first part of 1 John. God is life. And, and they said that we've heard him, we saw him, we observed him, we touched him. He is the true Fully God, fully man. He is the only way to life. Abundant life and eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. And the message we proclaim to you is the message he gave to us, that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. He is holy and righteous and perfect. And you are sinners in need of a Savior. And so don't, don't think you're deceiving God by saying, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, yet you have some, you're, you're looking at pornography every day. Or you're, or you're getting drunk on a regular basis, or you're full of anger all the time, or jealousy, or you're always grumbling and complaining. I don't care what the darkness is. Don't say you love Jesus. Get right with God. And by the way, if you're in a pattern of that, we all sin, but if you're, what he's talking about, if you live in a pattern of sin where you're constantly being occupied with this, it means you're not saved. Don't be deceived. And then for those that are saved, we've got to walk in the light. We've got to practice living in his presence and so that we can become more and more like Jesus and that we can be a brighter and brighter light to this fallen and dark world.